This is Sports Point. Sports Point, the latest in sport from Highland Prestshire and beyond. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Nathaniel Goddard, and you're listening to this week's episode of Sports Point. Joining me this week after his break last week, it's sports journalist Fraser Lindsay. Good to have you back, Fraser. Thank you, Nathaniel. Good to be here. And last but certainly not least, as a man who needs no introduction, backed by popular demand, Heartland Breakfast host Graham Howie. Hi, Graham. Popular demand. I love that. Thank you. Always <laughs> a pleasure. Brilliantly. Well, we're going to start um, locally because Aberfeldy Rugby Club have just finished their pre-season games. Uh, they played two beginning with uh, the match against Kin Ross, which we've spoken about before, Graham, where they trailed by 10 at halftime and managed to find a little bit of fight in the second half. But they've just come off a second pre-season game against Pennacute second 15, which they won, I think, rather convincingly, Graham, 64 to 10? Yes, it was. And uh, they even had to borrow some of the Pennacute players, so I'm not quite sure how that went down at the end of the game. But a good run out uh... Uh, for them and good to get some practice, of course, for the start of the season and uh, getting ready to play against uh, the Ho- the Howe uh, uh, Crusaders, uh, which is going to be a, a home game to start off the season. So uh, that hopefully should give them some confidence and get them ready. Uh, they've got a great pitch, they've got great facilities, they've got good support, so it's all to play for. Yeah, Fraser, do you think uh, a performance like that will, will do some good, particularly for Lachlan Jones, who he had, he had, he had just the five tries? Only the five tries, oh, that's not a bad, bad way to, to start the season. Let's just hope he can go on and, and build that and get many more. But as we say, winning breeds confidence and it's important to get wins early, especially when you're uh, betting in a, a lot of new players. And it is hard to, at the start when the players are still finding their way, but it's good to get a, a good start in pre-season. And particularly in that heat, Graham, that we had over the over the weekend, they had to play the match in four 20-minute quarters as opposed to the two halves and had to allow for lots of water breaks because it was so hot. Well, I just think that's very sensible. And, uh, you know, there's an argument to do that, you know, when, when the games are live as such and there's actually proper competition, you know, if those are the the conditions at the time, you have to adjust that. And I think that was, you know, I'm pleased, I'm pleased to see that, you know, playing in, in such hot weather and at such extremities with such passion, you know, it, it can go wrong. So you've got to be careful. I, I don't think there's any difference from that to, you know, having the, the, the same precautions if the weather was exceptionally cold. Absolutely. And, you know, it's always a good one to to, to end your pre-season with a good performance. And then you're coming in, Fraser, against a team who... They played an opening game. Obviously, Aberfeldy couldn't because Glenn Rothers, second 15, didn't have enough players. But they're coming against a team who lost 53-22 to 22 at home. Do you think that they're going to fancy their chances? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, certainly. I was through in Cooper funny off last Saturday. And every time I, I looked over to, to the faraway pitch from where I was watching, there seemed to be some action going on. I wasn't aware of... Uh, the score, but certainly there seems to be a lot of tries taking place. And I think if you're going scoring 64 points and the other teams conceded 53, then you've got to have some level of confidence going into it. Yeah, and that's that's going to be really important as they come through the season, obviously to establish early on a bit of a winning mentality and a bit of momentum, um, particularly with you know the 
the disruption they would have had to pre-season and to any preparation they've had before. Um, so, Graham, do you think they're going to be looking forward to this Saturday, particularly to get back to a little bit of league action? Well, like any game, it's about confidence, and they have the confidence from you know what was a very you know strong performance uh, against a Penicuik second. So that'll that'll set them up quite nicely. Uh, you know, the, the waiting game is over. You know, we've had some nice weather. We've had all the hassle with COVID. We're just on the cusp of getting back to some sort of normality now. And what they need is games in any sport. You know, you, you get rusty and you lose your coordination and just your you know your gauging of distances for passes and for kicks. And of course, the big thing is the fitness and how fit are the guys. Uh, that will improve, obviously, as the season develops. So I think they'll just be anxious and keen and looking forward with some enthusiasm just to getting back to the start of the season and being happy that, that we have that. And, you know, feeling confident that they're in pretty, you know, overall reasonable shape. Absolutely. And we'll be keeping a very close eye on Aberfeldy Rugby Club as they move through the season. Um, their opening game is against Howe Crusaders on Saturday the 11th at Wade Park in Aberfeldy. But we are back with the NFL. The NFL is back with Thursday night football. Huge party. They're going to have Fraser. I think Ed Sheeran set to play as the Super Bowl winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers host America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, great to have it back. More an excuse to, to, to stay up all night and not get very much sleep and watch, watch the NFL. Well, certainly not in my case when you're starting work or Graham's case starting work very early in the morning. It's not very conducive, but now the NFL is always uh, full of razzmatazz and it's, it's something special when the season comes back. Yeah, Cowboys are set to welcome back their quarterback, das Dak Prescott, after an 11-month absent due to a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle. And he sat out during preseason with a bit of a shoulder injury. A little bit of a concern there, don't you think, Graham? I mean, he's not played football for best part of a year. No, and the, and the concern will also be as to how, how strong the leg is. And the, the trouble is with that type of serious injury, you know, the argument is, it, it, yes, it will heal and you'll be able to play. And of course, he's had the best possible medical care. But how strong will it be? These injuries don't go away. You know, they stay with you for, for life. And um, he'll need to be careful. And I think he'll be a little bit uh, nervous. But the only way to, you know, the, 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 they've done what they can. They're confident that he's going to be okay. Unfortunately, the only way to prove it is to play. Absolutely, and we'll see how he gets on on Thursday. But we'll go over to the other side of the match now, and obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Now, whatever your opinion is on him, it's very hard to dispute his talent. Um, he will now be entering his 22nd season at the age of 44. And he's got all his weapons from last year, Fraser. I think he's going to be absolutely up for this one. Oh, yeah, very much so. He's just... A talent that keeps on giving, isn't he? He's broken just about every record that it has to be had in the NFL for, for a quarterback, and he's only going to keep setting records that are going to be so hard for anyone to, to surpass. The man is just a supreme talent, and as for the the, the Buccaneers, they're just a, a real a real unit just now in the, the real force of the NFL. Yeah, Graham, they've managed to keep all of their Super Bowl winning roster, which is actually very rare. And they will be welcoming back one of their sort of star tight ends who went out with an injury. But having that team together, that who, who you know, they went through all of last season together, they won the Super Bowl together. They, they, they're going to be all hungry up for that. And actually, they've got all of the team together. I would have thought so. And, I, you know, in, in any sport, but particularly in a, in, in a ball sport like this, and it's so competitive, it's all about confidence. Uh, Brady's going in, you know, in, in, in top form. They're very fit. They've got all the confidence of winning the Super Bowl the last year. So I see no reason why that level uh, of you know competition can't continue. 
uh, for the rest of the season. We'll, ha- we'll have to wait and see. You know, first games are, are a little bit inconclusive because people are, with the best will in the world and practice games and training, they're rusty and what they need is, is to play. But, you know, on paper, uh, even though they're not the favourites for this game, on paper, with Brady and with so many of the team intact from the success of last year, you have to fancy their chances. Yeah, I do think they are. I mean, I've not really looked at the odds, but I think given the, the, the fact they've managed to keep the roster, the weapons that he's got, I think the, the Bucks have got to be favourites for this one, Fraser. Yeah, I think you're going to be hard pushed to to see against the, the Buccaneers winning. What well, any word on what's our crowds are getting back for the start of the NFL season? Um, as far as I'm aware, I'm expecting close to full houses. Um, Major League Baseball have been welcoming back in certain places. They've been welcoming back full houses, people who have had double vaccinations or doing lateral flow tests and things like that. So I do expect Raymond James Stadium to be absolutely rocking when that ball is kicked off. Yeah, the fans will be desperate to be back and welcome back their heroes after the success of last year. Yeah, I, I expect one heck of a party in Tampa um, as they as they welcome back, and I think there will be something beforehand with the super with a that's coming out with the trophy and doing, and I think it's going to be an exceptional uh, night to watch. But we'll come into some of the other matchups that we've got in Division One, um, and as a Jags fan, I've got to start with the Jags because you know I can. And number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence, coming up against Houston Texans. Now the Texans have some very serious QB issues. I mean, Fraser, what? They're in a bit of a bit of a sticky situation and a bit of a mess there, aren't they? Yeah, it seems to be they've got major issues and how they're going to resolve them ahead of the start of the season is really going to be quite interesting. I think it's going to be a, a really tough game for them if they don't have the specialist position of a, a quarterback. You know, he's so important to to the way the team performs, and you've got to fear for the Texans. Yeah, well, he, the Texans are coming off their defense was ranked. I think it was about 31st against the run and 32nd against the pass. And when you're facing somebody, Graham, who has been desi- who's been described as a generational talent, I mean, that's got to put a little bit of fear into you as a defence when you were so poor last year. Yes, but as Boris Johnson famously said, things can only get better. You know, and uh, this is a great, uh, great competition. Uh, the guys will be up for a big time, despite all the setbacks that they've had. And America loves an underdog, so I would not be surprised if there is a surprise in that game. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sort of looking at it as as a Jags fan going. I feel really I feel really, really optimistic about this one. Um, Lawrence has had he's had quite a good showing in preseason. Yeah, he's missed a couple of passes, but he's got better as he's got more time with his team. Um, I think given how poor the Texans' pass defence was last year, I think him um, they can get Lawrence a bit of time to find his targets like Chark, like LaVisca, Chanel and Marvin Jones, and not to mention James Robinson on the in the run game. You had such a fantastic rookie season for an undrafted rookie. I mean, it was a phenomenal rise, Fraser. Yeah, quite, quite remarkable. You know, some of these rookies, um, <clears throat> yeah, OK, there's a lot of scouting goes in to, to come across them. They don't just come across them by pure luck, but the, the way they emerge over a season is quite remarkable from just being a, a college breakout to a, a full-blown NFL player in a year. is quite astonishing. Yeah, and um, of the Urban Myers NFL coaching debut, but he walked into that building, Graham, and he went, he got the whole team, everybody associated with the team, and went, if, you, if you're here to do your job averagely, this is not the place for you to be. I mean, that's a huge shift in mentality for a team that 
well, I mean, we've really struggled last season, but for someone to come in and go, if you're not going to give 100% to your job, don't be here. Yeah, but I don't think anyone is surprised to hear that. And American football is particularly famous for its motivational skills, as you, as you can argue basketball is as well. But it is one of those games where, you know, you've got some very big, fast guys and the winning margin is is very, very slight. So, you know, the, the bounce of the ball is, is a funny thing. It, it doesn't take a lot of luck to go your way to make all the difference and the heads go up and spirits go up and it starts to flow for you much better. So I, I don't really think we can take too much of that into account. Let's just wait and see and, you know, allow two or three games into the season for things to settle down, plans to be made, fitness levels to be uh, to be achieved. And then I think we'll have a much better idea as to where we are in this season. Yeah, some some of the experts um, on Good Morning Football and some of the bits over in the States have been saying, you know, they're not expecting a huge amount of buzz around Lawrence in the first couple of games, even though he was a number one pick and they're expecting his big, you know, he will take the big stage on prime time in about week three, I think, is against the Bengals. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Well, it, um, just, it just takes time to settle. You know, mm. the final, that's, that's the thing, you know, in, in any sport, you know, to, to find your groove, to find your way with your, your fellow players. And it's new territory for them. Because don't forget the COVID influence as well. Yes, they're, they're back in most of the stadiums uh, to full house, but that's something that they're not used to. And there is a bit of an, an adjustment there because obviously that's that, that they can go for you, it can go against you. I mean, it, it doesn't work well for you when your team is performing badly. And that's not such a big issue when you don't have a big crowd base watching you. But, you know, as the season develops and the houses, for want of a better word, get fuller, and not, don't forget, not all the states have the same rules. So they're not playing to full house at the moment everywhere. You know, that could have a big bearing as well. As we say in, in, in football in Scotland and in England, you know, a full house with you on a you know a frenzied game you know that sort of support is worth an extra player absolutely and Graham mentioned um, about the difficulties with COVID teams will be welcoming back players this season who opted out um, because of the pandemic one of those players is um, plays for the Patriots in his high tower who will be backed into what is a very very new look Patriots team that will be taking on the Dolphins big call from Belichick therefore is it to cut Cam Newton and go with Matt Jones yeah, a, a very brave move to drop such an uh, experienced man like Cam Newton. He's been around for a number of seasons, but as I say, the, the Patriots have kind of lost their way a wee bit since the Tom Brady's and uh, Rob Gronkowski have, have moved on and they aren't the force that they once were and they have to t- take a chance on a new blood, but hopefully not this weekend against the Dolphins. Yeah, well, it's two, two, two has been handed the reins. Fitzpatrick has gone. No more Fitzmagic in Miami. Uh, it's two a time, and we'll see how he gets on against Mac Jones. Uh, Saints post Drew Brees will begin their game again with the Packers, but they will not be playing in New Orleans due to, um, I think it was a some tornado or hurricane or something that hit yes, New Orleans. Yes. Um, so they'll be beginning um, in effectively a home game, but in Jacksonville. Um, but they'll be starting without their QB. was there for years and years and years against a defence that have been good. Winston's not been the best in the past, has he, Fraser? No, certainly not. And he's a, a player that you'd like to, to target if you're going to be successful. But you feel sorry for the, the Saints. You know, that's twice now in not many years that their, their stadium's been badly damaged by, by storms. And you just hope that all the people there are safe and well and they can return back home uh, within a, a short period of time. Yeah, I think from what I read, the stadium wasn't particularly affected, but there was 
you know, in terms of damage, but there was no power and water and sort of utilities around, which is why they made the decision to move to move on. But again, we're limited spectators, so I don't think it's going to affect them too much. Um, but they're playing the Packers, Graham, and the Packers had a little bit of some off-season contract issues, which seems to they seem to have been put behind them. But do you think that would affect a bit of a mentality of a team? You know, if your your two star players potentially want to leave. Well, it will in the early part of the season. And again, I'd go back to, you know, once we're into the third or fourth game, that sort of issue will have settled down. Uh, but you, you've seen this in the English football game uh, with star players that, you know, are they staying, are they going? And it's very, uh, it just upsets the balance of the team in pre-season. I don't, don't think it's very healthy. Uh, it's going to happen, so it's, you know, high, high money stakes, uh, big important decisions uh, for the players, particularly in this type of game where, you know, they don't have the longevity that you see in other sports. And although they're paid ridiculous amounts of money, you, know, you may argue it is a very, very short career, uh, particularly, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're playing in, in, in defence. So I would say, yes, at the moment, not helpful, perhaps to be expected, but hopefully that will settle down. And again, once they get to the second or third game, then it should be a, a much more level playing field there. Yeah, and that's one to, story to keep an eye on. Obviously, Rogers won the MVP last season, so if he can find his connections and you know, accept the f- stay in Green Bay for a little bit longer and see what Green Bay can do. Cleveland Browns, Fraser, are a couple of people's outside odds to win the Super Bowl. What do you think about that one? Yes, remarkable, isn't it? You know, for so many years they were just a team that was a, a laughing stock of the NFL. Everyone used to love a game against the Browns because they knew they were just rack up points for fun against them now all of a sudden a few years down the line and they've, they've just ch- changed their fortunes dramatically they've got a much improved roster now and as you say they could just sneak under the, the radar this year and do something quite interesting yeah graham obviously fraser said there that for years the browns were a bit of a laughing stock but do you think that the, the, their rise and now the fact they are sort of outside odds to win the Super Bowl shows how well the system that the NFL have implemented with you know the worst team get the, the pick the, the first pick of the best players and this salary cap that means everybody has to work to the same limit so you can't have you know like you could like Man City could have you know 30 world-class superstar players you've got to work to a budget do you think that that's showing that this system actually does work in this game I've always argued that it's something that should be considered very carefully in football in this country and in in fact in Europe, because you hit the nail on the head. You know, the worst teams get the best players in the following season. So, I mean, just think about that in in, in terms of football terms for people to be able to relate to it very clearly. I mean, that is a wonderful leveller. Then you have the financial leveller as well, which means, as you say, the likes of Man City transferring that to American football. You can't go out and break the bank and buy a player. Uh, because that's not within the system uh, 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 confines. The other advantage is that you have financial stability on an ongoing basis because none of the teams are going to go out out of business and none of the players are going to get a better deal in another team. So it it means you have pure football. It means that the club and the coaches and the players can concentrate on the game and not have to worry about getting relegated or if people are going to get paid or the size of the crowd of the next game. It is the most wonderful leveller. Whether that would work in Premier Football or Scottish Football, I don't know. But it works very well in the NFL. They've been doing this, this system since time began, and the proof is in the pudding. You know, All the teams are in a strong financial state. They're able to play the players very, very well. I mean, American football players earn considerably more than 
uh, football players in Europe. So who are we to argue with that system when the proof is in the pudding? Yeah, and you don't get these ridiculous transfer fees. Obviously, the value, Fraser, is in the draft capital. That's exactly it. Yeah, I think, as Graham just mentioned, the, the system is absolutely spot on over there, and that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, okay, you do have a few, a few teams that are always generally very strong, but there's so many teams that emerge from nowhere season on season. You know, you could, you see, as you say, the Browns, they've, they've come from nowhere. The Buccaneers weren't anything special a few, a few years ago. So you just need a, a couple of right drafts, and you can build yourself back up to to something very successful. I think your coaching plays a huge part. I mean, we, we've seen, obviously, the Patriots for, for such a huge length of time when they had Brady. They were they were, they were the, the dominating force. But Brady wasn't a high pick. Brady was a sixth-round pick that Belichick took, and he went, I can see that this kid's got talent. And I think that that's, you know, that's a real leveler when you've got coaches who actually go, yeah, I'm, I can take these big names. Well, actually, you know, I just want a Super Bowl. So I've got the 32nd pick. So I'm going to take this guy. I'm going to take these couple of players and I'm going to build my team with what I've got and I'm going to coach them well. It's a huge way for, for them to move forward. Well, so if you've got a strong squad in place that so you're not losing many players, then you can afford to take a, a greater gamble and uh, lesser picks at the end, back end of the draft because you know you've got the players in place. It's more the teams. Have struggled in the, the previous season where the pressure's on to, to to get a draft right if they want to to start achieving results. Absolutely, and we'll see how the season goes with obviously the Browns potentially as an outsider and these teams that have taken new quarterbacks and have slowly started to build capital with players moving around. Uh, we have finished the Paralympics has now finished and GB finished second in the medal table. I feel like we should be very, very proud of that achievement. I don't think there was any universe where we were ever going to catch China's medal total. No, it's, a, it's, it's a great indictment of the system that we have in this country and the funding that we put in place many years ago uh, that's come through to the grassroots level that's enabled the, the you know, such a, a, a quality base of coaches throughout um, all the, the, the events that we were entered into and uh, you know a great triumph of the human spirit and the sheer workload and don't forget all the hassles of covid where it was very difficult to train which put enormous strict now you can argue that was across the spectrum for other participants as well but nevertheless it didn't seem to affect the quality of what we saw so i think it was a great success for tokyo against all the odds bearing in mind what was happening with uh, with covid on the back of a pretty good olympic games but in a hum, humongous success uh, for Team GB. It really was. I don't think anyone saw that coming. No, absolutely. And I mean, I'm, yeah, the medal, you can look at it and you go, oh, the medal title was down from Rio, but Russia weren't there in, um, in Rio. So you're always going to expect some movement in the number of medals. But to, to Fraser, to go into that and win medals in 18 of the 19 sports that we entered, now that, that in its own right is a great achievement. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's a remarkable story and... It's just been a, a great rise by so, so many of these athletes. The, the, the adversities that, that they've had to come through to in their lives and then still be able to compete at such a high level. It's only deserves massive kudos from, from me and from everybody. You know, you should, they should all be so proud and it's remarkable. It really is remarkable what they've achieved. If, Absolutely. If, if you look at it, sorry, Nathaniel, if you look at it, I saw, saw this online. If you look at it on a population basis, of Team GB, it's something like three to one that we actually won overall if you work it out just on population. So I think that shows the strength of what we managed to achieve. 
Oh yeah, and I mean, you can sit there and go, oh yes, you know, I mean, if we can go to the next one and we can do what China did, I mean, China finished that thing with two hundred and four medals. I mean, that would that in its own right, I was sort of looking at that going. Yeah, but they have a population of three hundred million. We have a population oh, they do, yeah. of fifty-five. So multiply that up, and then we we more than doubled their total on that basis. Uh, absolutely, but I mean. 100 and, what, 124 medals with 41 golds across 18 sports that we entered is is a really, really good showing, absolutely fantastic achievement from them. And we saw some really good stories throughout that. Um, Sarah Story becoming the most decorated, most successful British Paralympian with 17 gold medals and has said, you know, she's looking at Paris in three years' time. Uh, Reese Dunn, Fraser, five medals, three golds on his Paralympic debut. I mean... Can't, can't get any better than that, can you? No, for sure. And it's, it's people like him that come into the year should be considered for something like Sports Personality of the Year. You know, that's a, a really great story. You know, most people would be happy to win one medal and debut. Never win winning five, five goals. That is just such an incredible story. Yeah, I think Fraser's obviously mentioned Sports Personality. I think Sarah's got to be in with a huge shout there, Graham. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. It's a phenomenal achievement and uh, just goes to the heart and soul of the GB team and the sacrifice and the effort that was put in and just, uh, I think, overall. And I think, you know, behind the scenes, there should be a lot of praise, which is a big issue because they were very well organised, very well trained, very well coached. The money was in place. And this is not, you know, the beauty for me is this was not just in one or two disciplines. This was across the board. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, and when you've got teams like the wheelchair rugby team who went in as European champions and, you know, they've missed out in the past two fourths, two fifths and a sixth. And then to go and win that, what is for them is a historic gold. Well, it's it's absolutely, I know, absolutely over the moon there to, to, to pull that off. Well, it was it was a, a delight to see. I mean, they played very well. It was thoroughly deserved, but you could see it on their faces, what it meant to them. And, and you know, as you say, a picture tells a thousand stories. Yeah, and we saw in the Olympics, Fraser, um, in one of the, I think it was the pole vault or the high jump, we saw a met, we saw a medal shared, and we saw a medal shared in the Paralympics with Johnny Peacock, um, finishing third in that one, and the photo finish could not separate them. That was a remarkable event, wasn't it? Yeah, and however long you looked at it, you were never going to to separate them. So I think the correct decision was made there to share the medal for sure. And his comments afterwards were, you know. He was so happy that he'd actually got it. You know, I think, you know, that some of the, you see, talk to some of these athletes and you hear them talk and, you know, their achievement, they're happy to be there. And, you know, and the medals are bonuses. Any medal they get is fantastic. Um, and there was a, one of the swimmers, I can't remember the name, but she'd um, something, something that she'd been diagnosed with had flared up and she was struggling with huge pains in her hips and she missed out on a medal. But she came out afterwards and said, you know, the, the the triumph was being there. The triumph was competing, was, was showing what she can do, and uh, it's an incredible um, show of human strength. There's a purity about the Paralympics, which I think the Olympics, understandably, and it's just the way of the world. And you know, I'm not moaning about it. It's just we've got to face facts with such commercial influence coming in. I mean, if you make it as a decent sprinter, for example, in the Olympics, you're guaranteed fame and fortune. That's not the case with the Paralympics. But there's a there's a there's a purity and almost an innocence. I think that's still there and it's still refreshing to see that still, you know, don't underestimate in any means um, the competitive spirit of all the people that are there. But but that was a good example, you know, of, of someone competing and they didn't get a medal, but the sheer joy 
and the credibility of getting so far was was just so, it was it was great to see it really was absolutely and we've only got a couple of years to wait for the next one and we'll see how we get on in that one hopefully we can we can build on that those people that maybe had near misses will get to there and those of those who have won their medals can defend them and hopefully enjoy enjoy their time in Paris uh, but we're going to come on to the golf now and um, Solheim Cup which Europe won um, 15 to 13 now I want to start with what I think was the greatest moment of the entire of the tournament which was when the US were awarded an eagle putt after the European golfer Madeleine Sagstrom picked up the ball um, inside the, before the 10 seconds um, of stated in the rules that elapsed after the American um, Nelly Corder putt stopped right on the edge of the hole. I mean, that's got, I mean, what was happening there, Fraser? Yeah, that, that was bizarre at first when I, I watched it. I had to, the sound, sound turned down, so I wasn't aware of the, the full story. It was only when I watched it later on and understood the, what had actually happened. I was like, that is very bizarre, but I suppose it's just kind of maybe caught, um, natural instinct. You just assume that the ball's come, come to a stop. It's a, a gimme birdie. Let's well, just take the ball away without thinking we should have waited for it to, to see if it was going to drop. And I was, as people that, that play golf, Graham, I, mean, I wasn't aware there was a 10-second um, stop time at the end of your putt. Well, there is. I don't think you and I would play to it because, you know, we could wait for an earthquake for years and it's never going to happen. The ball's not going to drop. <laughs> and it wasn't quite on the edge. It was a little bit away, but I think it was just a bit of naivety and just nerves getting to them. Uh, but they were right. The rule is 10 seconds. They didn't wait 10 seconds. And if nothing else, I just thought it was a bit rude. It's just something you don't do on a golf course. You don't pick someone's ball up, you know, anywhere uh, uh, until that person tells you to do it, especially in such a level of competition and where in theory the ball could have dropped but I mean it's just it's a basic rule of etiquette you just don't do it so I think the decision was the right one absolutely and I think you know at that level there is very little chance that you know for her to she'd go up to that and she'd tap that in I think there was very little chance of that getting messed up however crazier things have happened Fraser yeah you never know what can happen under the the heat of the moment you could just lose concentration at the the crucial moment and, and push the pop, but no, I think that one would have been quite safe for holding. Absolutely, very safe. But um, we've got to talk about Katrina Matthews, who is the first European captain to win the trophy twice after winning it um, at Glen Eagles. And fantastic that it's a Scottish golfer who's done it, Graham. Well, it was. Uh, I think everyone was surprised because they were by no means the favourite to win, and don't forget they were playing in Ohio. And American crowds tend not to be that supportive of, of the competition. Strangely, in golf, they are in other fields of sport, but golf seems to be one that they haven't really been able to get their head around. So to win 15-13 and for the two rookies, in, in Matilda Castron and also Leona Maguire, to have played so well and really brought the bacon home, I think... And usually, you know, rookies are not the foundation of the team, but they seem to, in, to actually gel it together because it's, it spurred the more experienced players on that if, well, if the rookies are doing it, I better make sure that I'm, my game is up to par, which obviously it was. Well, it's funny there that you mentioned about the crowds because there was very little support in the audience from a European perspective due to various travel restrictions because of the pandemic. There was no family for them to look up to in the support boxes and things like that. So it was basically, it was them and the team that went with them and, you know, that mentality to come together as a team in 
let's not well kind of hostile-ish environment you know wait you're in america you're huge american crowds you're the underdogs it's incredible well it is hostile and it is a problem in golf you know this shouting out in the hole and all the rest of it it's very unsporting and it, it and usually in, in america who are normally you know the americans are normally very gracious and, and good hosts they're not when it comes to golf and they have exactly the same problem in the Ryder Cup but I think it, it actually helped uh, the European team and it made them possibly hardened their resolve and sometimes that happens in sport where you're playing in a crowd that's that's not you know being trying to be a little bit impartial and you know proofs in the pudding you know Europe won America lost and perhaps if they'd been a little bit more gracious round about the teams that might have uh, helped them, but it didn't. I think it as well. It helped Europe the fight they got off to such a fast start on, on Saturday. You know, it helped they got a, a nice lead to, to to build on. Yes, okay, they, they, they faltered a, a little come Sunday, but the fact that they went into the, the singles with a, a lead was all important. I think they, they might be in a different story if, they had, if Europe had to chase, but the fact that Europe had the lead of two points was, was vital for me. Yeah, I think you're right there. And it, it's always easier to defend from a lead than to try and chase from behind because you end up trying to force things a little bit more. Um, and that probably did help them out and keep them calm. But from one sport being played currently in the US to another, we're going to come on to the US Open. And from a British point of view, we are having a wonderful time um, with Emma Rajukana, who became the youngest British US quarterfinalist in 62 years, only the third qualifier to reach the Open quarterfinals at the US Open, the youngest British Grand Slam quarterfinalist since Sue Barker in 1975, um, on the cusp of the top 50, will be the British number one, and then reach the semifinals, adding even more notable um achievements to that with the first qualifier to reach the last four the fourth female qualifier to reach any grand slam semi-final the first british woman in a u.s open semi-final since joe drury in 1983 the youngest british woman to reach a grand slam semi in 46 years and hasn't dropped a set i mean it's just phenomenal graham well she's she's shown the most incredible form and if you looked at the uh, the quarterfinal i mean i don't think there was any doubt uh, that she was going to win, and I, I forgive me, but I'm, I forget which game it was. But I think it was one of the games I was watching, and she was down forty nil. Uh, but you still thought she's going to win, and, and she did. I mean, the good thing here is that you know after the the mess at Wimbledon, where it turned very quickly, very sour for her, having started so well and progressed so well. You know, if she'd been knocked out in the second round, people would have said, "Well, that's 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 still great. That's a great achievement, and you're still going to sort out the rankings." If she'd gone out in the third round, they would have said probably the same. And then, you know, here we are in the in the, in the quarterfinals uh, and she and she progresses to the semifinals. I mean, it is nothing short of incredible. And, you know, there, there's no there's no fluke here. There's no gentle bounce of the ball. Uh, she's been commanding in all the games that she's played in the US Open. And I'm delighted for her. I really am delighted for her. And she's shown the potential that people were talking about is there. And the progress that she made initially in Wimbledon was not a fluke. And that will do so much good for her in terms of confidence. Even if she goes out or she gets well beaten in the semi-final, it's not really going to matter uh, because the, the achievement is, is already great. And uh, that's going to do so much for her confidence in the future. She's most definitely a star. And I think everyone would agree probably, you know, future number one, not that far away. 
Well, that's it. She will be. No, she, I think she is now. What well, the end? Once they update the rankings at the end of the tournament, she will be the British number one. But you said there about you know doesn't she probably wouldn't matter too much if she gets beaten. She she came out this week and said she had a plane ticket booked to come home to um, a fortnight ago. Yes, I was I was thinking actually when when Ian uh, Conway was on and and he was you know explaining some of the difficulty at the lower end of tennis. What do you do? How how far ahead do you book your accommodation? what you do with in terms of, of travel because you would expect to go out after a certain round and you know finances are tight and you can't stay more than you're you, than you're welcome now that's obviously not the case for her because she's got you know good funding behind her but it, it did sort of made me smile a bit you know that she's now having to extend it's a bit like a holiday that never ends you know and you keep going to the mm. hotel reception and saying i need to stay another few days because something's it come up it's just wonderful i i i just genuinely i am so delighted for her you know our hearts were all being pulled when we saw what happened at Wimbledon and she's kept her head down she's worked hard and she's worked on her confidence she's worked on her breathing and here we are who would have thought semi-final well Fraser you you saw how the British public got behind her at Wimbledon and the way the British public have got behind her now is is even is even bigger than it was at Wimbledon I know, that's the thing. Yeah, okay, we were, we were sceptical going into the this US Open thinking the fact that she did so well at Wimbledon was largely down to the fact that she had the home support there to help her through difficult times. But no, it's clearly down to the ability that she has as a, a tennis player. And it's remarkable the way that she's just grown and grown over a, a matter of months and the way she's progressed in this US Open is incredible. As you mentioned, to go through the tournament without losing a set is quite remarkable, you know, if that was uh, somebody like Kerber or Naomi Osaka, then you'd be saying, yeah, that's kind of taken for granted with them being the, the top players, but for somebody like her as a qualifier, that's just absolutely remarkable, it really is, and I'm absolutely delighted for her. Well, I think it was coming into the quarterfinal, she'd lost something like 15 games, which was the second lowest number of games lost to reach that point since... Serena Williams. Now, I mean, that I'd take that achievement and run, wouldn't you? Too late, yeah. That's, that's beggar's belief, it really does, but as I say, it's a great story. Absolutely. And on the other side of the draw, Graham, there is another teenager who is having an, another brilliant, he's also having a brilliant tournament, uh, the Canadian Layla Fernandez, who I believe, and it, well, when the article that I read, she was, when she qualified, I think she qualified before Emma did, she was the youngest to reach the semi-final since, I think it was Maria Sharapova in 2005, but at 19 to be in a semi-final. I mean, yes, you've got Emma the other side, who obviously from the British point of view will be talking up hugely, but you've got an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old on either side of the jaw in a semi-final. I mean, it's just showing how great tennis can be. Yes, we talked about this before in terms of, you know, I think women's tennis particularly is undergoing a bit of a of a regime change at the moment. It's coming to the men's game, but hasn't quite arrived yet. But it's most definitely arrived to the women's game where you've got four or five players competing in the very top level now who weren't there a year ago, certainly two years ago. Um, and new faces are coming through uh, all the time. And that's great for the game. It's great for the sport. It keeps everyone interested. And, uh, you know, the, the guessing game, you know, who would like to put money down as to who will win uh, the US Open, the, the ladies US Open? I would like to because it's just so open at the moment. And, and that's great. And it's so uncertain. And sometimes in sport, when things are uncertain, it doesn't have help to the, add to the excitement. 
Well, that's so it. unfortunate with it being America and the, the two semi, the, the first semi final doesn't start till midnight UK time tomorrow night. So with Radicano being the, the second game on, it's going to be two o'clock in the morning before our game comes on. So unless you're a night owl, then you're, you're not going to see it. No, I think like what happened with the diving and Tom Daly, I think there'll be a lot of people setting alarms at two, for like just before two o'clock to get up, to go and sit downstairs with a cup of tea, to watch it and then go back to bed. And she's also handling herself very well. And I have to say that. And that's also a sign of confidence and that she's, she really believes in herself. Um, because I think, you know, if I'd been in her situation at Wimbledon, I think that would have affected my confidence for quite some time. And it was a very distressing situation that she was in. Uh, I think the press were relatively kind to her, so that probably helped her in no end. She wasn't getting flack on social media for effectively having to bow out of the game because, it, it, you know, frankly, it, it, she just got overcome by what was going on. Um, and she's learned from that. And uh, she just comes across as such a nice person and hardworking, uh, clean living, etc. And, uh, you know, just playing her heart out because she, she loves the game. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a great appeal to to the tennis public throughout the world. That's That's very refreshing in today's hard commercial world. Absolutely. Um, really, really is. I just want to come back onto something, obviously, Graham, you mentioned about the, the shift and you're absolutely right. When you've got the likes of, you know, obviously Naomi Osaka is going to be taking, taking another break. Um, Ash Barty got knocked out in the quarter, quarterfinals, third round, Wimbledon champions not there. You've got the likes of the fourth seed, Carolina Pliskova getting knocked out. You know, you've got, yes, the second seed, Anya Sabalenka is still in the semi-final draw. But that's that's the only really you know top ten seed that's that's there, and you are seeing the shift, unlike that you're seeing in sort of in sort of the men's side. But it's starting to come through, and it's really really refreshing. Yeah, but don't forget she's only eighteen, so her body is not fully developed yet. So she will get stronger. So she's got obviously the game in her head of how to play, and she seems to be able to read the game very well uh, in terms of of who she's playing. But you know, give her another year, and she physically will be another ten, twelve percent stronger before she reaches her peak and, and is in a real position to challenge the, the, the top names. So I would think, you know, after this performance, especially if she can maybe pull something off in the semi-final, then other players will will be nervous about playing her. And, and that's that's worth some points. Absolutely. Well, we'll um, come on to the men's draw um, quickly because there is a semi-final rematch of an Olympic semi-final in which Novak Djokovic got beaten. Um, and that will be the semi-final for him as he looks to try and win the fourth slam. Now, I mean, you know, you, that's got to be—you've got—that's got to be in the back of his mind, hasn't it? This is a player who beat him in the Olympics and then won the Olympics, Graham. I think Djokovic will will take that. I think the Olympics was a different kettle of fish altogether, a different surface, indoors, no crowd. Um, he's still got plenty in his tank, I think, to remain at the top level of the game and to be winning major honours for at least another year, maybe even two years. And then I do think his, his star will fade because uh, he'll have younger, more experienced players coming up who now are not quite within touching distance, but give it a year, as I say, maybe two years it will be. But I, I don't think he'll let this slip. It's a different environment, different game, a crowd, the American crowd like him. I, I, I think he'll steamroll it. Yeah, and Graham's obviously said one of the ones we've seen quite high up in a lot of the tournaments this year is in the other semi-final is Org um, the Canadian Orga Asim, 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 Asalimi. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but it's been going really well, Fraser. Um, and you know, is one to, I think to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, very much. So he's been a one of the players that has caught eye in the the men's world from from tennis this year. Really, really good talent, and then it'd be great to see him reach a final. But I was just going to say, what did we think of Andy's performance? I think he would be happy. I think he'd be happy with it. I think really? he'd be very happy with it. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. He's got he's got to decide what he's going to do. And he's got to be careful not to tinge his legacy with keep trying to come back. You know, either he can do it or he can't do it. And as we go into, you know, the spring of next year, he's had plenty of time to see whether he's recovered from his surgery and can get his fitness back to the level required. We've got to remember his age, and there's a lot of young players coming through. He's got some. He's got some tough decisions to make. Yeah, absolutely true. But Jamie will be very, very happy because Jamie is in, in is in the mix is in the men's double semi final and could meet up with Joe Salisbury in the final. Like we could have two British players playing against each other in the final. I mean, that could be quite fun to watch. Strength of the game, rest my case. Absolutely. Well, we saw that in the in the men's tennis at the Paralympics when you had Gordon Reed and um, Hewitt facing off against each other. And I think there's there are some really promising signs coming through for British tennis all around. Um, and we'll keep an eye out and hopefully Emma Rajikanu can make it to the US Open final. Um, it would be really nice to see a final where you've got an 18-year-old on one side and a 19-year-old on the other side. But that is all we've got time for this week. So thank you guys for coming on. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Nathaniel. Thank you, Graham. And thank you, Graham. Always a pleasure. Sports Point, a Heartland Multimedia Production. Find out more at www.heartland.scom.